Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, I'm Phil Briggs. And on this episode of Vet Story, we've got something really, really cool. And I'm in the studio with my colleague, reporter, producer, and web extraordinaire, Amanda Mac Macias. How are you, Mac? Now, in the office, when we talk of things about booze and wine (laughs) and the good life, there's always somebody in the editorial meetings I can catch snickering across the room from me, and it's you. Yeah. Because I think we both like those kind of stories, you know? Yeah, why not? (laughs) And uh, so I'm going to share with you real quick the title of this podcast because I think you're going to love it. Booze, Brews, and the President's Bar Tab. (laughs) I do love it. Right? I mean, that just sounds like something you and I would click on and something our editors expect from us. (laughs) But I'm making this podcast because literally uh, what we were talking about in the office the other day... Mm was like my fun fact. I loved your story so much. I went home and I told my wife. I went home and told anybody over the weekend that would listen to me. And I was like, dude, get this. Get this. I know the coolest story about our very first president. <laughs> and it's totally your story. Um, you do some enterprising reporting for a lot of places, uh, one of which is a blog, right? Tell me about the name of the blog. Yep. Cork and Cannon, Curiosities About Wine and War. Pork and Cannon, Curiosities About Wine and More. I, I mean, that's the, right there. That's the, I want to do a podcast called that every week. But <laughs> sadly, I can't. I can get you to tell me, though, and everybody, the story that we chatted about in the office. And um, let's just kind of start real quick with, like, okay, your website, obviously, is about curious, cool liquor and beer and exactly. uh, historical stories. Yeah, just marrying military history and booze. Okay. And you stumbled across something. I don't even know how you found this. And yeah. how, like, almost, if this is your hobby, your hobbies are way too <laughs> academic for me. But, like, how did you find this story? And tell me all about your story. Yeah, so I was actually just messing around a couple of archival websites. And I came across this bar tab from 1787. And so, at this point, it was Revolutionary War was over. George Washington loved among his troops. And he's like, you know what? That sucked. We were at war for eight years. Let's go party. And so he had a little shindig. Pretty modest. 55 people. But the bar tap is insane. He had like 54 bottles of this fortified wine called Madeira that was George Washington's fave. Okay. Another 60 bottles. Real quick though, fortified wine. Um, If I had to kind of compare that to something out now. I mean, Yeah, okay. So it's like a port style wine. So basically it's wine that has been hit with a type of brandy. So like where wine would be like 13% alcohol, this baby's like around 19% alcohol. So This is like your dessert after after dinner type of wine. But Uh, George liked to rock and roll is what you're saying. I mean, this wasn't... Yeah, why not? 54 bottles. And then what's more, another 60 bottles of like a Bordeaux red wine. Okay. Um, On top of that, 
uh, eight bottles of whiskey, 22 bottles of beer, and then seven bowls of a boozy punch. This was insane. So <laughs> for 55 some people, that yeah, is great. 55 troops, like why not? And they uh, <laughs> they met at City Tower in Philadelphia, and then just you know got lit essentially. George yeah. Washington got lit with his troops. I mean, they founded the country, so I mean, I'd give it up to them right on, you know. And in in fact, any chance I get, if I see a service member or, or you know one of my fellow vets in a you know an airport or. A bar, I mean, I'll read yeah. the glass. I think but. the only thing that's weird is, like, it's just hard to think about him in a powdered wig, you know, like, colonial times, just, you know, boozing it up. General, founding father, president, party monster. <laughs> and the music of the day, whenever I hear, the like, the fife and drum music, I don't really see <laughs> people getting down to this. <laughs> right, exactly. So what's more is that, so, you know, their whole night evening of debauchery um, cost 89 pounds, which when I plugged it into an inflation calculator, right. was like 16K in like modern day dollars. So oh. he like racked up a $16,000 bar tab and then he didn't even pay for it. And he, someone else had to pay for it. You mean he walked out of the tavern after the night or weekend or however yeah. how long this party lasted? GW did not pay for that. He's like, peace, y'all. We founded <laughs> yeah. the country. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow, that's horrible. So how did the how did the tab get paid? Uh, so someone else ended up paying it. You know, God bless him. But I don't know. That just makes me like the story even more that right. like he threw one of a hell of a party and then was just like, great. Now I'm going to be president. Yeah. Now, okay. Now to that, getting to be president, that's where we were riffing. And I can't tell if this is story or if this is just where like the comedian and reporters and the reporting room over there yeah. just were riffing on it but didn't he take this to the continental congress or like when yeah. congress was first having their initial brainstorming yeah, yeah. meetings the timeline is war party and then the next in the next day or two he was there with all the other demigods putting together right the constitution so like the timing of this is just like he just had this party and he's like oh gotta you know figure out America and <laughs> with the hangover no less I'm yeah sure that, so he's there and then you know and so they're just like so are you gonna take care of that uh, bar tab and you're just like no I think we're just gonna <laughs> like pretend that that didn't happen but, <laughs> but yeah no so that's the timing of it when you think like oh this was a serious time of war and then they're slaving over this document like sure. trying to like build what would you know be our quirky kooky country and yeah he like Partied, which that is so cool and really cool to think that like one of the first items of business, you know, I can hear them. They're like, order, order, here, here, here. Okay, now George about the ball tab the other night, and he's like, look, Ben Franklin, you don't want people to know what you were doing. Okay, I saw you over there in the corner with the maidens. Um, yeah, why don't you just was- cut me some slack and you pay for this, okay, dog? What I was reading is just that it was super common to just like drink during discussions like during their meetings about all of this it was it mm. was very common for them to just you know figure stuff out over yeah i guess how we would do beers but it was a lot more loose then so it's just i, I you know what and to that I'll, i think we should be doing that now because it doesn't seem to me a whole lot of crap gets done the way they're doing it now what <laughs> with like you know the media and the sound bites and then everybody's just Meh! And, you know, nobody really gets along. And then they make big resolutions to, we're going to decide this in six months. You know, the debt ceiling. Let's just move this conversation till the end of the fiscal year or something. And we just, you know, why don't they just 
buckle down and instead of, you know, all night pizza session with Republicans and Democrats, why don't they just wheel in some cash? Yeah. Have some have some drinks. Although I don't know if that'd be any better. I we'd <laughs> make about some weird legislation. Well, I love it. And uh, the blog, we can find stories like this, you know, periodically on your website or on your blog. How do we find you? Yep. So I am just www.corkincannon.com. And there is a link. So if anyone wants to contribute, give me a story tip to research. Oh, yes. Yes. Yep. And as much as I know Mac, I'm going to say this for her because she probably wouldn't, but she'll also accept wine donations. So if you happen (laughs) to see her out and about in town, she'd be more than happy to, you know do a tasting with you (laughs) always in good taste Mac I really dig this story thank you thanks alright and now for a segue that'll make your head spin we'll go from veterans of the revolutionary war who were once president (laughs) to a veteran that our very own Capitol Hill reporter Matt Saintsing brought to our attention and how he went from a career in military intelligence to one involving yeast barley and hops uh, tell me your name and title. Ryan Placetti, and I am the restaurant manager at Sterling Pig Brewery in Media, Pennsylvania. Okay, Matt. Yep. Yeah, so our call we're getting ready to hear with your buddy uh, was cool. We talked about beers and whiskey camp, but before we get to the call, tell me how you know Ryan. Uh, so Ryan and I go back to about 2004, 2005, when we both served as uh, intelligence analysts in the 101st Airborne Division in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Uh, he's a Korean linguist himself. He's a cryptologic linguist. I myself was a signals intelligence analyst, which is a fancy way of saying uh, intel when it has to do with commu- enemy communications. You know, uh, he's okay. Yeah. So it's not about beer at all. It is not about beer. It is no. We drank a lot of beer, cheap beer. Now that we're older, a little more experienced, so uh, we drink a little finer beer. But uh, it was not beer centric at the time. At least the job. <laughs> so since getting out of the army, he's gone to college, worked in ar- archaeology, and is now in the beer industry. Yeah, three careers that sound like they're totally unrelated. But uh, here's how he explained it to us. Well, uh, first I went. Uh, back to school on the GI Bill, and I got a degree in classical and ancient Mediterranean studies uh, with an archaeology focus and Asian studies. Hold on, just is, real quick. I don't mean to stop you, but can you tell me what you studied again? I didn't even get it the first time. Classics and ancient Mediterranean studies with an archaeology focus. I also have a degree in Asian studies. Wow. Neither right. of which is particularly helpful in the beer industry. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking to myself. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. He makes Asian beer? But okay, no. No, this story's really heating up. Go ahead, man. I want to go. Yeah, on. so I, I, I got a job after graduating. One of, the, one of the few people who graduates with a degree in the archaeological field. Uh, I, I got hired at the University of Pennsylvania with the Ore Digitization Project. So Ore is a site, a uh, Mesopotamian site, southern Iraq. Uh, I was in the process of applying to uh, of applying to PhD programs, and some friends opened up a beer store down in Georgia and invited me down there to work with them. So I, I went down there, worked with them for a couple of years, and then I moved back north, got into some bartending, and while looking for uh, mostly sales positions, I ended up landing a position as a restaurant manager with uh, Sterling Fig Brewery. Do you think that um, basically any of your experiences in the past have kind of customized you and helped you? work in promoting and discussing the nuances of beer? Absolutely. Uh, one of the ways that I segued from the military into the archaeology world was my familiarity with geographic information systems. Uh, while I was working as an archaeologist uh, in Israel uh, with the 
seasonally with the Telaco excavation, I was uh, running their 3D modeling and spatial documentation program, uh, which basically uh, used a photogrammetric 3D modeling system to uh, measure the site and, 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 and spatially quantify the site and document the site in photorealistic 3D models on a daily basis. Uh, then that data management uh, that I used as an archaeologist and also used as an intelligence analyst has uh, paved the way for me using lots of spreadsheets in restaurants and breweries. Data organization is a huge deal, and a lot of time in the restaurant industry and the beer industry, there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of creative types. Um, so being that, that voice is like, hey, maybe we should organize this in this way is, uh, I think, pretty helpful. Right on, man. Now, you've got mastery of history and archaeological digs. You've got mastery of language and uh, worldwide experience. And you've also got mastery of whiskey. Matt was telling me about uh, this thing you went to called Whiskey Camp. What the hell's that, and how do I get to go? Camp Runamuck. It's run by Lush Life Productions, and it is an industry event sponsored by several liquor companies uh, where they take a group of, well, two different sessions of, of 125 bartenders out to uh, a summer camp outside of Louisville, Kentucky, and they take you to various distilleries. They also have a bunch of industry events where, that, are, that are sponsored, you know, and they're fun. They're parties. Um, oh, you don't say. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, a, a camp full of bartenders and liquor reps. My. <laughs> yes. I can only. Did you guys get like little cabins and bunk beds? Oh yeah, we all had. Uh, we all had our own cabin. We had bunk beds. Uh, there were. There were only about six people in cabins. Everybody got the bottom bunk, and then the top bunk you used to, you know, hold all your swag. <laughs> right. More than that, like it. You know, a lot of people emphasize the party element of it but it was a fantastic educational experience getting to go out to these uh, bourbon distilleries to find out exactly what it is in their process that makes their product unique and special on the market. Give me an example of like what would be a fun fact you walked out of whiskey camp with. Uh, well, Woodford Reserve, uh, most Rick houses that they use to store aging whiskey, uh, a lot of times they'll move the barrels between the top floor and the bottom floor to adjust temperature. Woodford Reserve has a... Uh, as a, a brick building as opposed to a wood building. And instead of moving the whiskey, uh, they changed the temperature of the building. So they actually have heating elements that uh, run into the building from the uh, distillery, uh, carrying steam to heat the bottom floors during the winter. So typically during the summer, your top floors are really hot. Your bottom floors are cool, not, not cold, but cool. Um, and then during the winter, uh, the aging process more or less shuts down because the temperature drops. Um, the whiskey's not being forced into the barrel. So at Woodford, they actually heat it from the bottom during the winter. It almost has a flip-flop of what happens during the summer, which means they don't really have to move their whiskey all that much. Huh. All right, very cool. Knowing all these stories behind the various kinds of whiskey, um, you really you really become like an ideal alcohol ambassador. It's, it's, it's product education, which isn't that different from academia when, you, when it gets down to it. It's just a little bit more fun yeah. and slightly less drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What are some good tasting whiskeys, and what am I looking for when I taste a good whiskey? As far as great whiskeys, every every distillery out there, uh, especially when you're talking about the big distilleries, they've been doing it for a long time. They're all producing uh, whiskeys of various qualities. You know, you've got your you got your bottom shelf uh, bottom shelf whiskeys, you've got your top shelf whiskeys, and there's great stuff on every shelf. So I'd say my favorite bottom shelf whiskey is probably the uh, Evan Williams. Evan Williams is a great base expression. Uh, as far as mid-range shelf, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Woodford Reserve. They don't do any base expressions, but they are owned by Brown Foreman, which is the same company that brought you Jack Daniels. So, huh. 
Just as an aside, I remember when we were for, we were TDY to Fort Meade, Maryland, from Fort Campbell. Uh, I was kind of on the way out. He was he was coming into this uh, this training program we were doing at Fort Meade. Uh, went to his hotel room. He's like, let's come hang out for a little bit. So I went in there and walked into his bathroom, and there's uh, a tub full of ice and uh, bottles of Jim Beam. They're just chilling on ice. He's like, oh, would you like some? You know, and I was like, I was, I mean, I had to catch a flight, and I was like, of course I want some. So you know, <laughs> spend a little time. So that's just that's just you know, this is this kind of guy Ryan is. You know that. Uh, you know what? You know what's strange for me is I don't remember that. Oh, imagine that. Well, I'd like to think that you've been embracing this for many years. You just didn't have the official job description at the time, but you've been an enthusiast and you know, dare I say, an informal yeah. academic about the study of whiskey for quite a while that's well awesome. you know uh there there are formal academics out there uh at the university of pennsylvania you've got dr pat mcgovern who has collaborated with dogfish head on their ancient ale series so i mean there is a uh, there is a limited number of spaces within the academic market for people to to embrace their love of alcohol in a professional way you know i hear it every time i hear a very high-end review of either a wine or a beer yeah. and there are those that can I, they can identify the subtle notes or the earth tones or the different... Or they say they can. Or the finished <laughs> yeah. flavors. And I'm always amazed because when they do tell you that and then you are to have it, especially when you're doing like a wine tasting or something, um, if somebody explains kind of what to look for when you give it a whiff, um, suddenly you do start to notice it. There are people out there who are super tasters. They can taste every single element of a whiskey, a beer, a wine. And then you can also train your palate to pick out the certain notes. But there's also the power of suggestion. And I will tell you, like, for me in my line of work, uh, working as a beer retailer particularly, uh, the power of suggestion is the most important thing. And you, you sort of hit, uh, hit on that idea that when you're doing a tasting, somebody tells you what you're tasting, and then suddenly it, it comes to the forefront. That power of suggestion is really important. And it's the difference between a, uh, a, good, a good tasting and a bad tasting. If uh, you have somebody who's, who, who's good enough at the process of, organizing a tasting that they can help get you to the point where your palates improve uh that's a that's a skilled person hey speaking of tasting uh let's get to something you can kind of tell us a little bit about and uh, i was looking at your website uh, for the sterling pig brewery uh just outside philadelphia in media pennsylvania and uh, it said it's brewed in small batches and tapped directly on site sterling pigs eight rotating beers achieved the perfect balance of flavor and drinkability and you've got um everything you know from Loggers to porters to stouts. Talk to me about some of the best beers you guys have and using your expertise, not only from military intelligence, but, uh, you know, from a student of history. Talk to me about the flavors and kind of describe them for me. We have a Hefeweizen that he produces called Sommerlieben. It is a very traditionally produced uh, Bavarian-style Hefeweizen. This one is sitting at about 6% ABV right now, so a little bit, little bit heavier, a little bit, little bit more booze to it. But great banana clove flavors. It's exactly what you're going to look for when you when you say what's the German Hefeweizen taste like. You can come here, and you get a pretty good idea. Nice. Real real quick with the Hef. Um, so is that something that we'd pair with an orange, like you do with the more commercially available Hefeweizens? Blue Moon, I think, comes to mind. Or is sticking fruit in your beer a sin? A lot of beer snobs will tell you, you know, oh, don't put fruit in my beer. Yeah. But the tradition of putting fruit in beer, especially wheat beers. Uh, you know, that, that dates back uh, well over 100 years. So if you look at Germany, uh, Germany right around the turn of the 20th century, uh, you have Berliner Weisses, which is a sour wheat beer, uh, frequently being served with a raspberry syrup. So putting fruit in beers is not against the rules at all. 
the modern popularity of Blue Moon, which is a Belgian wit. So it's a sort of a cousin to the Hefeweizen. It's a wheat beer from Belgium. Uh, that's primarily marketing. Uh, somebody in the early 90s said, we want people to look across the bar and say, hey, who's, what's that beer with the orange in it? Hmm. And that, that's sort oh. of been the, the, the origin of like the modern, uh, the modern notion of putting a, uh, an orange into a wheat beer. Uh, generally with a Hefeweizen, I don't necessarily recommend it. With beers, it's sort of it's in vogue. We serve our Orange Street Wheat, which is a uh, wit style beer with an orange. Uh, we we do not serve that with our Hefeweizen, hmm. which is a more traditional German presentation. Oh, okay. Well, look at that. I've already uh, learned something. All right. Then the uh, the other two beers that I uh, that I talk about, uh, we have a couple different IPAs that we keep on tap to keep the snuff for a six point five percent IPA. We keep an eight percent IPA. It's a double IPA called uh, Big Guns. And we put out a single hop series called This Little Piggy. That's what I had. So This Little Piggy, each, each one does, uh, focuses on a, on a particular hop. Right now we've got Citra on. It is uh, a beautiful hop that imparts uh, citrusy orange flavors. Like for me, a uh, beer made with Citra, uh, you can tell it right away. It, it almost tastes like somebody poured orange juice in it with a little bit of the, uh, the orange pith. Mm. And the, the last beer I'd like to talk about is our Schwartz beer. So this is a traditional German dark lager. It's in the lager family, so it's got, it's got that lighter body, but it still has those rich, dark, chocolatey flavors that you get from, like, a stout. So that makes it the perfect beer for uh, summer if you're going to drink a dark beer and well into the fall. Sometime around November, December, then you can switch over to, like, porters and stouts. Right, right. And it's interesting to hear you use the words dark and lager in the same sentence much less the same drink because i typically think of lagers as these like golden light, light almost like yeah. see-through mm-hmm. kind of beer i mean i don't want to say bud light but you know i mean i think of a lager no, as bud, this, a, as a, bud light is a modern american adjunct lager so it's it's dark it's dark in terms of the the color and it's light in terms of the body no nice and where do we find you on the interwebs and where do we find you uh in real life if we want to come have a beer with you all right. Well, if you want to find me in real life, I'm at uh, Sterling Pig Brewery in Media. It's at 609 West State Street. And that's just outside Philadelphia in Media, PA. Uh, we don't take reservations. It's first come, first serve. We got a fantastic barbecue program here. So, you know, come with an empty stomach and get ready for some beer and some meat. Uh, you can find me online at, at the Yankee Dandy on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Very cool. At the Yankee Dandy. Nice. And of course, I got, I've got. i seen some big, beautiful pictures of your beautiful beers at sterlingpig.com as well. That features everything that is about, correct. about the brewery and the taste. And you can find us online at, at Sterling Pig. From Army veteran to student of archaeology to... Uh, beer enthusiast, <laughs> beer leader. <laughs> yeah, beer so, academic. Some say, yeah. Great talking to you, man. Will you come back on and uh, let's talk beer like when the seasons change. We get into like the fall and winter beers. Let's examine some things to tip back, shall we? Sure, because then I can talk with a fresh mind full of uh, information gleaned from the Oxford Dictionary of Beer and some other. I've got tons of books. And if you want some uh, history book recommendations for beer, more than happy to make those. And next time, we're not doing it over the phone either. We're going to be sitting face to face, beer to beer, beer to beer, yeah. in my tiny little hands. I will yeah. have a beer. <laughs> All right. All right. So after that interview, we obviously wanted a beer. And Matt brought with him a sample from uh, the Sterling Pig. And we'll leave you now with the sounds of us tasting a beer. I'm not certain you'll learn anything or we'll do it justice, but uh, we'll give it a shot. Um, so should I go ahead? Yeah, no, yeah, do it up, dude. Oh, okay. 
So right, the gun is loaded. Let's see how I do on the pour here. Alright. Well, that's good. We're just tasting it. We're just tasting it today. Matt's pouring like an entire pint over there. Well, nice. for me, it's a serving. All right, so here we go. So um, so the way it looks, uh, first of all, it's expertly poured, if I do say so myself. Oh, yeah, uh, you, no, you got the, the angle on it. The, the head angle. is floating right on top of what is like a very dark, kind of chocolatey-colored um, beer. It's a little bit high in carbonation, which I think has to do with, you see the bubbles go. You, you typically don't see that with uh, a lot of stouts or porters because it's a light, uh, because of it's a heavier texture. Oh. This lighter body kind of likes it so you can kind of see it. A little more interactive, right? Let's go ahead and smell it. All right, so it definitely smells like a lager for one, but I definitely smell notes of... It's like dark, almost like dark, deep, dark cherry, deep, dark cherry chocolate a little bit. Like, okay. It smells very malty, very roasty. It's getting me, me excited to taste it. Here we go. <laughs> He's giving it a chug. Although, for the record, before you give yeah. us the description, yeah. I'm going to say that you've done a very good job at restraining yourself. You didn't... I thought you were just gonna rip into that pint. Oh well, I can, it. I can. But right? you oh, actually yeah. smelled it, you stirred it, you're, you're taking it all in. That was a that was a good conservative sip. You're yeah. really trying to get mouth feel on that. Yeah, so, I'm really uh, trying to get so, all dimensions. All right, so tell me what's going on with that beer. So, definitely a lighter texture. It definitely smells like a lager. It, it tastes like a lager, but it definitely has that roasty, malty flavor. As I say, I'm trying to pick out which ones here. Let me go back in and tell you. He's going back in. I love you. Just poured yourself one too. Definitely chocolate. Well, let me go ahead and I wanted. Let me go ahead and sure. get this here. Sorry about this. Yeah. So, oh, you want some too? Sorry, I thought this was just me here. Well, let's let you. What kind of beer tasting? What is kind this? of beer tasting? It's my kind of beer tasting, right for me. <laughs> here you go. Trying to spill this on the equipment. All right. All right. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Okay. Again, I'll give it a smell. Yep. Go ahead and get a swoosh it around. Okay. It smells like an Irish bar. Hmm. It smells like. Like hay? Yeah, no, it smells like kind of like wet hay yeah. and an Irish bar. Uh, regret. Um, it <laughs> smells like I hear the boss tones playing. Okay, here we go. Earthy. Yep. Some tree bark. Some leaves. Tastes like um, maybe like, some nuts. Uh, it's like got that almonds. dark, roasty flavor that I—I I mean, I've said it four times, but I love it. And I, this kind of flavor with the lighter body is perfect. <laughs> I love everyone in the office is now They're staring so at us through the window. We're just like, you know, I'm get, I'm on the clock right now. Guys. This is important yeah, research. Yeah, important research. This is important research. Yeah, let me go ahead and uh, <laughs> everyone. Do you get Jared in go here? Go ahead too. and get some. Yeah, Abby, our yeah, social please, media director, is in social, here now. Yeah, our person who promotes Hi, all of us on Facebook here. Hi. And actually, we never said the name of the beer. This is a Pata Negra from the Sterling Pig. Um, what do you think about it? Let's get, let's get, let's get, let's get re your reaction here. I normally don't enjoy dark beers, but this is really easy to drink. I'm having a great time. Do you know why it is easy to drink? It's a black lager, which marries what I like about an ale or a stout or a porter, that dark, deep, dark, rich flavors in a lighter body. Uh, you know what it tastes? It tastes like uh, I'm like chomping down like a big hunk of like like really dark German bread. That's what I'm tasting. It's like a lot of like the nuts and like the stuff that goes along with that. But it's also okay. definitely like more of like a... Is that a malty taste? I have no idea. It's malty. Yeah, it's malty. Roasty, malty. Roasty, malty. Okay, very good. All right, again, for those consuming this podcast, we are sampling the Pata Negra from the Sterling Pig Brewery, which is just outside of Philadelphia. You want to consume this one or something similar, remember Black Lager. You can find that at a liquor store near you. 
All right, let's go out with a little sound effect here. All give right. me, give me a cheers. All right, good job, buddy. Cool, thank you. All star closer, Kenley Jansen. We have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.